electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Three, two. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Huge day. I get that. How do you explain it? I think it's about two numbers. Here are the numbers. 1.15 and 1.4. Yep, I'm talking about the plummeting yield on the benchmark 10-year treasury, where you only get 1.15% return. How ridiculous is that? And 1.4%. And that's the apparent rate of lethality for the dreaded coronavirus. At least it's what we think it is. While bond yields have kept falling, signaling real fears about where this economy's headed, and I share those, that 1.4% lethality number is much better, of course, than 2% number we've been worried about with this outbreak, which, along with the cessation in the mad buying treasuries this very afternoon, is a major reason why the market was able to rebound today. Dow skyrocketing 1,294 points. Do you know that was the biggest one-day point gain ever? The S&P surging 4.6%, and the Nasdaq pull voting 4.49%. Okay, I don't want to be simplistic here, but this market's become ridiculously volatile because it's controlled by fear. That's the physical fear of getting sick, the fear of a slowdown in commerce as people are become reluctant to go outside, and the impact of that fear, which is causing investors to hide their money in safe haven treasuries, like tre- you know, safe haven treasuries, which are giving you almost no yield. That's driving their prices up and their yields down. Now, we've seen the most minute changes in Treasury yields produce wild swings in stocks these days. We literally had an an overnight bull market. The futures were down about 40 ticks when I went to bed. They were up 60 ticks when I woke up at 3 a.m. That's kind of insane. And it tells you about how thin the futures are. Uh, It also says that the market is unhealthy. And by the way, today's rally is unhealthy. I don't like to see these kinds of rallies. I don't like to see the big declines quickly. I don't like to see the big increases like this. But it's the actual events driving us in either direction we have to talk about. See, we were down first on coronavirus deaths and then jumped thanks to talk of an emergency Fed meeting that never actually materialized. 
What do you do in the times of extreme volatility like this? Do you just stay, just sit, sit tight? Well, you know I'm in favor of that always, but how about taking advantage of it? I think you need to show some gumption and buy stocks when they come down to levels where you find them attractive, as we did on Friday and this morning, and then sell them when they bounce to levels that are no longer enticing. The futures are distorting everything here. And while that makes it hard to, to get your bearings, it can also give you some great entry and exit points. At the end of the day, you have to believe in yourself, although you should remain willing to course correct when you get it wrong. That belief is your strength in times like this. That's in my head today. You know why? It's because of the interactions I have with the legendary Jack Welch, the man who took GE from a $20 billion company to a $400 billion company with the power of conviction. And he passed away this weekend. Jack always loved that I believed in my views. When I was kicked off the old squawk box rotation back in 1998 for being too rough around the edges, he sent me a fax saying I was the most entertaining guy he'd ever seen on CBC, and he applauded me. I showed the facts to the old management team, and much to their chagrin, I got myself back in the rotation. More importantly, you need some facts, especially facts about this outbreak, because the outbreak is all about fear, and as I told you, the fear then goes right down into a rush. of stay-at-home commerce. See, I think the facts and the concomitant reversal of rates from the ridiculous lows that they allowed, that's what allowed the market to roar today. The facts and then the switch of the yields. See, there are very few people who have any real, let's say, gravitas when it comes to this coronavirus. I mean, you hear these people come on TV and they say things, but there's only one guy that we all revere. Only one. Same as Dr. Tony Fauci. And he did breakthrough work with AIDS and as part of the government's apparatus that was allegedly been silenced by Vice President Pence. But if Fauci's being silenced, as I to see his byline in the most distinguished publication in healthcare this weekend, in healthcare forever, but this weekend is byline. And that's the New England Journal of Medicine. In the single best article I have read on this epidemic, and it's not a, you know, it's, it's not to sell papers, it's titled COVID-19, Navigating the Uncharted. Fauci notes something huge. There's a study of 1,099 laboratory-confirmed patients, and they showed a mortality rate of 1.4%, which is what we keep hearing about, 1.4, 1.4, 1.4. Why is this so important? As Fauci explains, if one assumes that the number of asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic cases is several times as high as reported cases, the case fatality may be considerably less than 1%. In other words, if the denominator is much bigger, then maybe... Maybe we're not in as much trouble as we thought. And here's the statement that I think gives credence to this rally. Quote, this suggests that the overall clinical consequences of COVID-19 may only be more akin to those of severe seasonal influenza. Boom. We've been hearing that it might have a 2% fatality rate. 1.4% is much lower than that. And it's even possible that after reading this article, you have to believe that 1.4% is way too high. Fauci goes on to note that the real number could be as low as 0.1%, or like the 1968 flu season that killed 38,000, uh, 32,800, or the 1957 flu season that killed the equivalent of 107,000 in today's terms. The death rates for pandemics tend to be much higher overseas than they are here. Our healthcare system isn't perfect, but it's a lot better than China's. I felt somewhat reassured by this article that is available online and makes you put things in perspective for the first time since this began. Does it mean all this panic was much to do about nothing? Absolutely not. The 
Coronavirus is still a serious problem. The disease is so easily transmitted that you can see many people deciding to stay home and wait it out if they can afford it. Uh, and that's why I keep recommending the stay-at-home economy stocks, like a Zoom video, Adobe. We know that China's been practically shut down for the better part of a month. And anyone who works at a business that shuts down because of the virus is going to take a hit. That's why I think it's, it's a very good time to reevaluate, reevaluate your portfolio, sell the stocks in the strength that we have uh, that I think are going to continue to go down in a corona-induced slowdown. For example, even with a lower death rate, you should stay the heck away from travel and leisure stocks because no one wants to catch the disease. Today, I saw some research recommending Cheesecake Factory, a compliment Friday's recommendation of, Dar- of uh, Darden, which is parent of Olive Garden. I say, uh-uh, no, no. Don't buy a restaurant stock going into a possible pandemic. People are going to stay home. The delivery business is much more lucrative. If there's any way to cancel the cruise, I bet you it's going to get canceled after that Diamond Princess fiasco. My guess, 18 months before the cruise lines can count on this uh, on the reservation list being real. That's how long it took for people to get over Chipotle's most recent food uh, scare. Historically, 18 months had been the pattern. I see the same thing happening in the carnival. Now, since we're talking about financial markets, I know that there will be an endless drumbeat of experts telling us that the Fed can solve the slowdown with lower interest rates. This is a public health problem. You can't cure the coronavirus with monetary policy. Think about who benefits from lower rates. I'm currently in the process of getting a mortgage. I have a great credit rating, yet the mortgage is half a point higher than I, what I was paying when the benchmark 10-year treasury was double where it is now. It, 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 they're not lowering those rates. I'm not opposed to the Fed adding uh, liquidity, but it doesn't do much to fix a slowdown that's caused by a public health crisis. No amount of, of rate cuts will make people go outside if they're afraid of getting sick. Of course, there are things the government can do to make things easier. I am proposing right here, right now, that if I were president, I would offer $100 million to whoever comes up with a decent treatment for the disease or workable vaccine. Yes, a scientist, a company, I don't care, 100 mil tax-free. If I were Treasury Secretary, I'd make sure that small businesses get credit lines so they can stay in business even if they have to close down temporarily and therefore they can still pay their employees. That said, there are other reasons we rallied. Maybe you think it's the resurgent Joe Biden who the Democratic establishment still circled the wagons around in order to fend off Bernie Sanders. Status quo Joe was much better than the market uh, for the market than Bernie. Maybe you believe there'll be an emergency Fed meeting. Maybe you think there'll be a lot of central bank intervention. And maybe you think there's going to be Chinese stimulus tonight or every night. But the bottom line, I think stocks toward today because Wall Street realized that the coronavirus might be the equivalent of a severe Flu season, not great, but it's not going to cause the endless economic devastation that you'd expect from a virus with a 2% fatality rate or a 1.4%. I'll take it. And I bet, by the way, that the tenure goes back to 1.4% too. Hey, why don't we go to Phyllis in New York? Phyllis. Thank you so much for taking my call, Jim. I had I had called before. Yes. And you gave a great big booyah, booyah, booyah to my largest holding, which is Wendy's. And uh, today I'm very excited because uh, today was the uh, breakthrough on their breakfast menu, which came out. And uh, I thought it would be a great uh, game changer. I um, I myself will uh, deposit mm-hmm. uh, buy ex right. stock uh, well, as I Phyllis, get extra cash. Uh, yes, Phyllis, I got to tell you, the stock fell too much. Uh, the breakfast is apparently all the good readings. I have great readings of, of, of Wendy's, constantly great readings. Breakfast is looking good, so I think we're in good shape. How about Jack in Ohio? Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jimmy. Of course. Hey. Hey, it's bouncing off its 52-week low, but I know the competition is getting tight in this sector from watching your show. 
UPS. I like UPS, 4.3% yield. It's going to be a terrific stay-at-home situation, which I think we're still going to have to, even though I know that we have, uh, I think that we're making some headway against the virus. Uh, And it's run by uh, David Abney. I think he does a very, very good job. I like him. All right, this volatility is unheard of, people. Use it to reevaluate your portfolio and to use some gumption and get your prices to buy or, of course, into strength, get rid of the ones that aren't going to work. Man, buddy, tonight, stocks bouncing back after the worst week since the financial crisis. It's time to start hunting for buys as stocks remain off their highs. Hey, I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Beyond Me to see if one of the hottest stocks in this market is still worth considering. Then the CEO of Twitter could be looking for a new job soon as Elliott Management presses for big changes to the company. What could it mean for the stock going forward is what you care about. And in a world where people are more and more likely to be working remotely, companies need a well-developed digital backbone. I'm eyeing one company that could help. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. The beautiful thing about an indiscriminate sell-off is it's like a bucket of cold water dumped on the hottest stocks in the market. And even if today's bounce, the red hots are still down dramatically from the recent highs. 
Take one of my faves, Beyond Meat. That's the maker of plant-based burger and sausage alternatives that came public last spring, immediately soared to the stratosphere, climbing to 239 in late July. Okay, that was too high. Before the market turned against turbocharged growth stocks, thing plunged to $71 in December. But then we started getting more good news. McDonald's spent this pilot program for the uh, Commerce's burgers in Canada, and the stock got a new lease of life. A couple of weeks ago, Beyond Meat was back at 126. Last week, though, Beyond Meat got pulverized. And it's not just because of the coronavirus. On Thursday night, the company reported what I guess the analysts called mixed results. Uh, their sales were much better than expected, up 212% year over year. The earnings were a little light for according to their numbers. More importantly, uh, even though management gave incredibly bullish revenue guidance for the full year, the margin forecast was on the softer side. And they talked about sacrificing near-term profits to focus on aggressive growth, which is what I want. Freaked out some investors, though, and didn't help that the stock market was rolling over. So Beyond Meat plummeted 15% on Friday. We're making up some of those losses today. I think the estimates maybe got ahead of themselves because to me, these results look pretty good. So at $96, is this thing worth picking at? Hey, let's check in with Ethan Brown, the founder, president, CEO of Beyond Meat, and a real visionary to get a better read on this quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Brown, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, do we start immediately and eat or tell us what we have here? So these are our breakfast sauces. They'll be coming to retail soon. They're also in a lot of different food service organizations, such as Dunkin', Hardee's, Carl's Jr. Delicious, right? What I love about this product delivers on our promise of eat what you love, where you love it, but be healthy about it and do something great for the planet. People think... My mom always said, don't talk him out there. But it was delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Not available yet. People think, Ethan, you got a lot of competitors. Ethan, you, there's just, everyone's got him for you. You are not necessarily a traditional food company, though. Correct. You are something different. So, therefore, they may be gunning against you, but they may not know who they're gunning against. Right. Thank you for asking. So, we really are an innovation engine, and that's the way that we've always run the business over the last 11 years. We have a core platform across beef, pork, and poultry, and we're constantly innovating to close the gap between our products and the animal protein equivalent. The closer we get, the more and more consumers come into our brand. And so what's happening is consumers are hearing all this information about whether it's the human health implications of high levels of meat consumption or the climate implications or natural resource or animal welfare. Every day they're getting some piece of information on it. They want to reduce their animal protein consumption. We're making that easier for them by creating products that enable them to eat what they love, to continue to enjoy those traditions and occasions, but do it with a plant-based meat versus an animal-based meat. I had the pleasure of spending that with you eating Truly delicious, delicious beyond me with the chef. And it was a great night. I went on and I told my kids. And my daughter is a vegan. And, you know, she said, Dad, that's not at all. That's not what it's about at all. We like it because of what they do for the planet. Now, this must be a demographic that you own. Well, it's great. I mean, so if you look at the 40 and over set, a lot are coming in because of health. Whether it's a doctor saying something about the heart or, 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 or cholesterol, et cetera. Uh, But the younger generation is the one that's really exciting. When we go to a college campus, the rooms are packed because there's an idea here whose time has come, and that's that you can separate meat from animals. And in doing so, you create a more sustainable planet and you create something that's healthier for the human body. Now, we're not there yet. We have our Manhattan Beach Project in in Los Angeles. We're continuing to make things better. But we are getting closer and closer, and that resonates with the consumer. I know McDonald's. um, I I told them, I spoke to them. I said, listen, guys, you're in Ontario. This has got to be every college uh, campus's dream. But I also know when I speak to the other guys in the same business, the actual franchisees, it's hard. They're not sure how to do it. But don't they, won't they be drag kicking and screaming in the end? Well, I think if you look at the innovative leaders, and so we've, we've been testing now with KFC, with McDonald's, with Hardee's, but we've also launched. The chicken tenders. Like, yeah, absolutely. Launched with places like uh, you know, A&W and, and Carl's Jr. 
Um, and then look at the Denny's and Del Tacos and Dunkin's. Starbucks. And Starbucks in Canada, Subway in Canada. So the CEOs and the leaders of this sector that are, that are leaning in are seeing something among the consumer. The consumer doesn't want to go to some of their places for, for salad. They want to go to have those traditional things that they really enjoy, and that's the value proposition that we create. The other thing that you do that I like is that you don't stop with this, which is delicious, but you even the packaging you care about. Yeah, yeah. so sustainability is massive for us. It's one of our driving forces. And if you look at the Beyond Burger, compare that to an animal protein equivalent. Right. 90% fewer emissions, 99% less water, 93% less land, about half the energy. So talk about young people hearing about that. You hear about the climate strikes that young people right. are doing, the, the flight shaming that young people are doing. There's an opportunity to make a decision at the center of your plate about what you stand for, what you don't. But there are still uh, questions and skepticism regarding the health benefits of your product. Yeah. So I think that's largely noise that's being uh, generated by incumbent uh, um, uh, industry groups. So if you look at the, I just had two this morning, so I'll talk about the the Dunkin' sausage, right? So that has half the fat. It has 44% less uh, saturated fat, 37% uh, less um, sodium. It's got more protein and more iron. So that's really hard to argue with. It also is absent some of the things you're concerned about in meat, such as heme iron or um, uh, heterocyclic uh, amines, things like that. So it's an opportunity to have that product that you want to have, but maybe do it in a way that's healthier for your body. Even one of the greatest hits we ever had on Mad Money was something called White Wave. Yeah. And White Wave, it's, uh, it was spun off from Dean Foods, but it was almond milk. It was yeah. different kinds of milk. And uh, the story was is that China, the milk's bad. Yeah. So in the end, Danone bought this white wave for a, a, a triple. Yeah. Uh, I have to believe the Chinese have to be, when this thing clears, and it will because it's a billion and a half people, yeah. it, this is their hope. Yeah, so if you think about, in the comments I made in our last earnings call, you know, if, if you're interested in, in, go back 20 years on Amazon as a small, profitable online bookseller, this is not the stock for you, right? I am very interested in what Amazon did in terms of reinvesting and continuing to grow Right now is a moment in time for us. It's an opportunity for hyper-growth, so I'm looking very serious at Asia. I've made a commitment that we're going to be producing in Asia by the end of this year. We'll do that regardless of, I think, of this health epidemic occurring right now. But think about the swine uh, fever there. Right. So 50% of the herd was culled. We've forgotten about that already because of this next thing. Right. Uh, that's 25% of the world's uh, hog population. I came out of the fuel cell industry. If there had been a disruption to the internal combustion engine manufacturing infrastructure where 25% disappeared right. overnight, we'd be going bananas sure. trying to leapfrog and put hydrogen or electric drive technology in its place. That's our opportunity right now. We have to be active in China regardless of what's going on. And you look at the EU, we're putting production in, in, in the Netherlands at the end of this month. We'll be up and running. So this is a time of hyper growth. I've ruled out nothing. We're looking, you know, we could potentially make acquisitions in the supply chain or adjacencies. We are doing everything we can right now to grab as much market share as we possibly can. That's the right focus for our business. Yeah, and if you were... If- if it was hurting you, you would be discounting, and you're not. Yeah. I want everyone, this is the most, one of the, well, maybe the most transparent of the food group, but also consumer products. You should read this February 27th deck called Beyond Meat. Go through the conference call where, where Ethan actually has to defend himself. I don't know why, given the numbers. To analysts who want him to make money now, I want him to win. You can't win by making money Ethan Brown, founder, president, CEO of Beyond Meat, BYND. I'll talk to you later. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Now, we got some pretty big social media news. We learned that Elliott Management, that's that relentless activist hedge fund, had taken a sizable position in Twitter and demanded CEO Jack Dorsey's head on a silver platter. So what does it mean for the stock? Twitter stock wow, just roared today. It vaulted nearly 8%, uh, both by the activist involvement and the market-wide rebound. I just recommended this one a week and a half ago, arguing that Twitter had some of the best momentum in the social media cohort. I liked the changes that were happening. After the latest very strong quarter, it looked like the company had gotten its act together. I think it may have. Remember, Twitter disappointed big time when it posted its third quarter results in October, and the stock got slammed from 38 down to the high 20s. At the time, I told you it was worth buying. I figured Twitter would become a takeover target if its shares went any lower. Since then, the stock's up 20%, even after last week's gigantic coronavirus-induced sell-up. When the company reported its most recent results a little less than a month ago, the numbers weren't perfect, but oh, they were much better than feared. I said the bottom had been put in and again by. Twitter's invested a lot of money in improving its platform, and that's resulted in huge user growth, uh, coupled with very robust revenue growth. So why is Elliot getting involved here then? They haven't submitted a big list of demands, but from all the public reporting, it's easy to see what they're really after. First, I expect Elliot to make the argument that Twitter's been a long-term underperformer under the leadership of co-founder and CEO Jack Dorsey. From the beginning of Dorsey's second stint as CEO, starting in July of 2015 through last Friday, Twitter's stock had a total return of negative 6.2%. S&P, up 56% total return. Over the same period, Nasdaq returned 80%. Facebook returned 121%. Facebook been under assault endlessly. Now, you could argue Twitter's finally gotten its act together, but even over the last two years, it's still been a real lagger. It's only returned a little more than 8%. Basically, I'm betting Elliot will argue that Twitter has a great platform, one that's become central to global news and culture, yet somehow the company hasn't been able to monetize that platform effectively. To put it another way, Twitter's a $28 billion company, Facebook's a $560 billion company. Facebook deserves to be bigger than Twitter, but 20 times bigger. It's not hard to make the case that they've been doing something wrong, at the very least. Twitter's undermanaged. I mean, it's literally undermanaged, which brings me to point two. Elliot wants Jack Dorsey gone. I like Jack. I think he's a very smart guy. But his critics say that he's the human embodiment of hubris, and there's plenty of evidence of that. For nearly five years, he's been the CEO of two large publicly traded companies, Twitter and Square. I've never liked that. In other words, he's a part-time CEO. Late last year, Dorsey said that he wants to spend up to six months a year in Africa, which would make him a quarter-time CEO, though, of course, I'm sure he telecommutes. It does make you wonder, though, how would Twitter do if it had a CEO who had only one job? The Twitter devotees always immediately point out to how much Jack is loved internally – 
which I'm sure is true. A half a jack is better than 100 percent of many other CEOs, they will say. And the last quarter, which I like so much, is certainly an argument for that. What else? I'm betting Elliot will point to the fundamental lack of innovation at Twitter. They'll argue that the product has barely changed under several years of Dorsey's leadership. Sure, they now have let, let you have 280 characters rather than 140. But that change was years in the making. It took years for Twitter to let you hide replies or follow topics rather than just use you know, other users. Why does it take so long for Twitter to adopt new functions? Well, Jack Dorsey has a reputation for being a see-it-from-all-angles see kind of guy. In the parlance of Twitter, you could say he has a galaxy brain management style. I think there's real value in not pushing through changes too quickly. Twitter's a popular platform. You don't want to screw it up. But on the other hand, you can easily see how this kind of management style could end up uh, turning into indecisiveness. indecisiveness. They are. They're indecisive. Why does Elliot want Dorsey out now? Well, uh, some of it is probably because 2020 should be a gigantic year for Twitter. Got the election, the Olympics, now the coronavirus outbreak. They're going to have a huge audience, and these activist shareholders want that company to monetize that audience effectively. Plus, as Bloomberg reported this morning, Elliot met with Twitter's executive last week, and you know who wasn't there? Jack Dorsey. They spoke to the chairman, who's Omid Kordestaniad, and the lead independent director, Patrick Pichet, but not the CEO. Again, there are times when Dorsey's Zen-like attitude is admirable. This wasn't one of them. In response, e- even some of the most bearish analysts on Twitter have backed away from their negative pronouncements because something could happen here. ISI Evercore had a sell rating on it. They were basically telling people to short it. Now they've upgraded to neutral. They're worried that Elliott might push for the company to put itself up for sale. No wonder the stock surged today. Now, I think it is worth noting that Don Bilson, he's over at a place called Gordon Haskett, he actually predicted some activist involvement in Twitter just a couple weeks ago. So what does he think of the move? Well, while he believes the stock is a ceiling at 40, he also says it could break through that ceiling if Elliott brings in a new CEO who's more focused on making money. And Bilson thinks that there's a decent chance that could happen, my view. First of all, I think the stock's worth owning here no matter what. Although, uh, after today's run, you might want to wait for the next market-wide pullback before you really back up the truck. Hey, we just had that kind of pullback. They do happen. Um, and, and you know what? And you made it out like a bandit if you use it to buy Twitter into that weakness. Fundamentals still strong. I think the company's got a lot going for it. In short, Twitter was a buy before Elliot got involved. And regardless of how this story plays out, I think Elliot's involvement makes it more attractive. Will they be able to replace Dorsey? I don't know. On the one hand, running two publicly traded companies at once is the ultimate act of hubris. And if he's forced to pick, I'm guessing he'd go with Square because that is faster growth. On the other hand, Dorsey's a co-founder. Notoriously hard to get rid of those guys. At the end of the day, I think Elliot's actually right. It's unacceptable for chief executive officer to be your side hustle. It's ridiculous to be a part-time CEO who spends six months a year hiding out in Africa. It's time for Jack to come back to work with the troops at one or the other company. I got, he's built two great companies. I think it's terrific. Bravo. But I got to imagine the board's patience is wearing thin because this isn't bad corporate governance. It's no corporate governance. If LA can succeed in electing three candidates to the board, I bet this is going to happen. Bottom line, I think Twitter's a buy, whether Jack Dorsey's running it or not. But at this point, I think the best thing he could do for his shareholders is just retire as CEO of Twitter and focus on running Square full time or vice versa. How about Joey in Minnesota, please, Joey? Booyah, Kramer. Hello from up north in snowy Minnesota. We love you up here. Oh, thank you, man. It's real cold there. It's just getting spring here. What's up? I love it. I love it. So I wanted to ask about Revolve Group. You had a great optimism for this stock in 2020. I own the stock, purchased around New Year, 19 bucks a share, down to 15.50 per share uh, as of the end of today. Um, what are your thoughts on guidance for 2020 moving forward? And this being an online shopping retailer, will the coronavirus... I thought that an online shopping retailer would be the way to go, especially in a period of a coronavirus. Um, the quarter was not that good, uh, and I'm looking wrong. 
Uh, and I'm not going to say double down because I'm not a big fan of retail here, and I wish I'd gotten this more right. Let's go to uh, Patricia in New Jersey. Patricia. Hey, Jim. Love your show. Thank you. Uh, you're the best. You're Thank the you. best. The professor. Oh, there you go. Um, I bought IQ at an average price of 28. Right. And it's been a roller coaster. Yeah. And I'd like to know your feeling on that stock and how the coronavirus might affect I, I'm not it. a fan. Uh, I think that the stocks are uh, the only stock I'm recommending in China is Alibaba. It's very much similar to U.S. Uh, financials. I think this stock is a sell, not a buy. Right. Twitter is a buy with or without Jack Dorsey running. It's time for Jack to make a couple of decisions. Soul searching. There's much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Pegasus Systems. How could the company perform in an uncertain market? This thing is more than triple since we first got talked about it. Then, is it possible to put an accidentally high-yielding portfolio together in this type of market? I'm buying 10 stocks that might not be on your radar. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We are trying to make sense of things for you here tonight in the face of this incredibly difficult but panicky tape. I like to buy hysteria, not sell it. I like to buy panic, not sell it. We don't advocate panic because it's not a strategy. There are two kinds of companies in the blast zone. The ones that are at risk and the ones that are really at risk. What bounces best? That's what you must be thinking about at this point. What a day. We have your back and we'll get through this together. Now the shelling stopped for the moment, does that mean it's time to start circling back to the kind of high-flying growth stocks that were leading the market before the coronavirus hit? Think about Pegasystems. That's a software company that develops custom applications for other businesses, especially tools that help clients with digital transformations like business process optimization, customer relations management. As Pegasystems has shifted to a recurring revenue-based subscription model, the stock's exploded higher from under 50 at the end of 2018 to above 100 at its peak just a couple weeks ago. When the company reported a strong quarter last month, the stock exploded higher. But thanks to this recent sell-off, it's now giving back all those gains. And it wasn't even able to rally today. I mean, you got to ask yourself, is this ready to bounce? Let's take a closer look with Alan Treffler. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Pegasystems. He had a better sense of where his company said it was struggling. Welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, thank you, Jim. I think it's important to point out that most of the people we have on, they, they're managers. They have a small position in their company. You have a huge position in your company. So you're speaking with your money and your mouth. Well, I think it's a good investment. Right. And I'm trying to prove that. Okay, so a lot of people are looking for uh, stocks that if the economy slows down, they might be good. Others are looking for if the economy can get back, they might be good. I'm looking at Pegasystems thinking that you're maybe both. Well, you know, having been in business now for 35 years, we've weathered many a good time and a bad time. And the priorities of the customers change. But we're terrific at saving the organizations that use us money, making their processes more efficient, keeping them close to their customers, but letting them take out lots of wasteful work. Now, it's interesting that a lot of people would say, what do you guys do? There is a fantastic video about Commonwealth Bank, which is a very large bank, talking about how to stay in touch in, a, in an era when you have billions of bits of data, and that's they're using Pegasystems. Yeah, ComBank of Australia, which is the leading bank in Australia, Uh, is a brilliant user of what we do, both to connect the multiple channels together, to put a brain in the middle of their business, and then not only to make what they call the customer engagement engine, make all the right sort of decisions with them, but then to help execute work as well. 
Now, uh, I think if people don't want don't know Commonwealth, but I just mentioned that because the video is so good. What you've done with customer satisfaction and attrition at American Express is rather extraordinary. Well, we're happy that we've got uh, a lot of customers, frankly, not just now in the financial services vertical. That is where we started out. Right. But today we're in a whole variety. Some of the world's largest telcos use us. And, you know, frankly, when an industry is in upheaval, that's when they need us most. Right. Now, you're switching to the cloud, so people on the court are always trying to evaluate how far along you are. We've seen this with Adobe. There came a tipping point. I think you've already reached the tipping point, but mm-hmm. maybe you can explain how we should be monitoring perhaps by using the uh, contract value, annual contract value as the, as the metric? Yeah, so annual contract value is the best indicator of how we're doing, with the second one being the amount of backlog we build up. Okay. That's, that's stuff in the bank, as it were, that hasn't yet hit the revenue line. Now, when I look at the customer list, I see things, I wonder, like, how can you have Unilever and Procter? They're enemies of each other. But you have a lot of different verticals. No one seems to mind that you're working on both sides. Well, we help organizations cap- capture their unique organizational intent okay. as, as a basically a better way to combat their rivals. And we find routinely we're selling to competitors. And we really try to respect that when we work with them. So um, when we watch these switches, we know that there are bumps along the road. Uh, but we also know that the companies that really get there are well-funded. You seem to have just raised a huge amount of money to be able to grow to the next level. Well, we uh, had the opportunity to put out a convertible that was, frankly, massively oversubscribed. We thought that with um, the money being, frankly, so inexpensive these days, raising $450 million would make sense. We couldn't uh, succeed raising less than 600. Oh, that's fabulous. Given the level of interest that there was. And then, you know, we've got to talk about coronavirus. I mean, you've got a... um a huge number of big speakers coming to your your Pegas, your Pega world. Uh, and all of them I want to hear. But will they have to speak to an empty audience? <laughs> well, look, there is always the opportunity to do things virtually. But yes. I'm still encouraged that given that uh, Pega world is early June, that if, like other right. influenzas, sometimes they abate right. in the warmer months, we, we may find a reprieve. But we're staying agile and going to handle whatever comes. If I came... To Peggy, and I said, look, look, we have to be able to make it so our people can work at home because we don't know when this is going to end. Can Peggy help me? Yeah, that's perfect for what we do. We are terrific at the management, the distribution, and the automation of work. So helping distributed workforces operate as if they were unified is exactly what we've been doing for the last few decades. I have to believe the customer service can be distributed like that. Oh, absolutely. We have many of our customers that have work-from-home programs that plug seamlessly into the service that they do. Now, uh, is your plan to take all that convert money and become bigger along all these different verticals? You you have $600 What are you going to do with it? Well, we also are hoping that uh, we're going to be generating cash as we go forward in the future, like like quality businesses do. Uh, We're going to look for opportunistic acquisitions. We're going to use it for general corporate purposes. Historically, we've done some buying back when we think the stock is at a, at a good price point, and we are optimistic about the future. You know, when we did the convert, we actually did a capped call to raise the premium to 100% because the 37% that came with the convert just seemed too low. Well, I, I know for retail investors, for uh, mom, for people that invest at home, that the convert actually is no, not that meaningful in the fact that it's going to spur a lot of growth, which is what you should care about. Nice moves since we've seen you last, Alan Treffler, founder, chairman, CEO of Pega Systems. Watch that Commonwealth video. It's three minutes and 30 seconds, but it will tell you how good they are. Man, money's back in the break. 
It is time! It's time for the light of the place. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, time for the light round. Let's start with Muhaimin in New Jersey. Muhaimin. Hey, what's going on, Jim? Booyah. Booyah, right back at you. Hey, look, can you tell me before or after earnings about DocuSign, man? I like the DocuSign. Probably using it today. I think it's a fantastic project. The company continues to do great DocuSign. By the way, there's a good example of something that could be a stay-at-home stock. Let's go. Yeah. Billy in New Jersey. Billy. Booyah. What's going on, Jim? All right. You tell me. All right. So um, me and my buddy Tyler want to know if it's a good time to invest in Penn National Gaming. Okay. The problem is, is that any place that is a gathering place, even as good as Penn National Gaming, which does not have China and Macau, is going to be suspect. Gathering, no. At home, yes. But this one has bar stool, and it'll only be a matter of time before it comes back. Let's go to Danny in North Carolina. Danny! Jim, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Okay, Danny, what's going on? Well, Jim, because of the uh, the COVID-19 and the flu, for that matter, there's a lot of talk about uh, the possibility of folks uh, staying home to work, mm-hmm. uh, not attending events or locations in big crowds. Right. Uh, but I'm thinking about my four-legged furry friends. Uh, Jim, uh, is there a good time to buy Chewy? All right, I think now's the time to buy Chewy. I went, to, I, boy, I had a fight with my wife about this weekend. I said, I'm tired of picking this stuff up. And I'm tired of you just pressing the Amazon button. Let's give Chewy a, side, a, a try. And she said, uh, okay. But anyway, I think that Chewy's a good buy because I see all those boxes like everybody else. I know the sales are going up. Um, and you know what? Sometimes you just squeeze your wife. What can you do? Or spouse. Spouse. Let's go to Bob in North Carolina. Bob. Hey, Jimmy, let's, I want you to know we appreciate it. We little guys appreciate you trying to help us out. Thank we know you. what you're trying to do. Thank you. Uh, I don't want to talk about chips. I want to talk about chicken. Okay. Tyson Foods. Big All right, Tyson down here in uh, is uniquely challenged in the sense that my travel trust bought it, and all it does is go down. And I do believe that the company has a better story than it's telling. If I worked at Tyson, I would talk about the long-term future, not the short-term. But they are totally emphasizing the short-term, and it's beginning to get me discouraged. Doesn't matter. Charitable Trust owns it. We're not going to flip it because they have a great repository of food. But holy cow, you want to slit your throat when you listen to them talk. Come on, people. Stop putting a hate on yourselves. Rita, North Carolina. Rita. Again, Jim, I love to listen to Mad Money and CNBC in my car on SIRI Radio. I don't have to fumble with my iPhone. I just get in there and drive listening to you. But recently, what has happened to the stock? And well, the stock suddenly come down a lot. And I think the stock is back in my zone where I want to buy it. I think you had a good one. The stock got a little overheated there. Let's go to... Boy, it's giving up that. Let's go to Rob in Florida. Rob! Hey, Jim, I'm retiring this year. I bought Oxy last summer to get the dividend on it. I'm wondering if I should buy some more now to lower my basis in it. Oh, boy, I don't know. I mean, it can bounce. Anything can bounce. But I'm worried about that balance sheet, and I'm worried about the price of oil. It, oil needs to go back to 50 in, over the long-term five-year period. It's now actually below uh, 50 to 48. Thank you, Rusty Brazil, for giving me that. So I think it's too dicey to reach for that yield, frankly. Too dicey. Let's go to Sawyer in Ohio. Sawyer. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. What do you think about waste management on the slight pullback? You know, somebody upgraded it the other day, and I said, wow, that's an interesting idea. Geez, that's good. But you know what? 
happened so quickly, up $6. Uh, it probably still goes higher. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. We are trying to make sense of things for you here tonight in the face of this incredibly difficult but panicky tape. I like to buy hysteria, not sell it. I like to buy panic, not sell it. We don't advocate panic because it's not a strategy. There are two kinds of companies in the blast zone. The ones that are at risk and the ones that are really at risk. What bounces best? That's what you must be thinking about at this point. What a day. We have your back and we'll get through this together. People love yield. So you got to ask yourself, does it make sense to put together a portfolio of accidentally high yielders here? Can you eyeball these dividend stocks and buy them, knowing that you'll have to buy more if we get another COVID-19-related sell-off? At the bottom on Friday, there were 10 Dow stocks that had accidentally high yields, and I call them above 3.3%, which, of course, is not bad, considering the 10-year Treasury is only paying 1.15%. It's a much better return. So the question is, are they worth the risk? This is a piece about risk versus reward. Let's tick them down. The highest yielder in the Dow Jones Industrial Average is Dow Chemical at nearly 7%. Oh, I wish I could trust that dividend, but it's been cut before during recessions. And this new commodity chemical-focused Dow seems every bit as precarious as the old Dow, maybe even more so. I think CEO Jim Fitterly is doing a fantastic job of managing the highly cyclical hand he's been dealt. But the combination of economic sensitivity and sustainability concerns, it is a plastic company, are too much for me. Dow Chemical is not worth the risk. You don't buy a commodity chemical company if you're going into a potential worldwide slowdown, which, despite the fact that the market was up today, could still happen. Next, you've got some oil and gas stocks. Exxon's got a 6.5% yield, Chevron 5.3%. This is an extraordinary pairing, as Exxon's almost always had a lower yield than other large oil companies, thanks to its superior production, superior balance sheet. That's no longer the case. The oil industry's travails can crush even a well-run company. Now, I've been telling you to stay heck away from the oils. One reason is that I don't trust their yields to protect you at all. BP has been able to fund dividend boosts and growth, yet it yields nearly 8%. So I think there's much more downside for Exxon and Chevron, especially if the global economy continues to slide. Remember, Wall Street is turning against fossil fuels, in part because some money managers suddenly care about the environment, but also because they've been garbage investments for more than five years. How about IBM? All right, now, they have a tempting 4.8% yield. I'm adopting a wait-and-see attitude here because it is a wait-and-see situation with, because they have this increased focus on the cloud, but they have a legacy business. You know I'm a huge believer in the cloud as a secular growth story. I like that IBM's getting in it, but the rest of IBM's business, frankly, I think it's a secular decline. Can the new businesses offset that weakness? It's possible. I just don't know if, if it's a risk worth taking to capture that dividend. Pfizer and Cheeks me, 4.4% yield. It's got a solid balance sheet, decent pipeline. Stock sells for 11 times next year's earnings. That's what a drug company. Crucially, I believe Pfizer can make the numbers and the yield is safe. While the growth is subpar versus the rest of the group, you've got my blessing to put this one in a higher yielding portfolio any day of the week. The same goes for, Chef, uh, for Verizon. Oh, wow, this one's really interesting. This was the stock to buy, obviously, on Friday afternoon. Um, I like the cash flow of Verizon, and I'm not concerned that the 5G build-out will cost too much. Longer term, the consolidation of the wireless industry, you know, only three players, huge positive for Verizon. Stock had a big move today. So if you're going to buy it, only put on part of your position, then wait for the next pullback to buy more. Don't worry. There'll be plenty of pullbacks with this COVID thing. Uh, number seven is COVID thing. 
really sounds great, Jim. Number seven is back to being tricky. It's Walgreens, 3.8%. I'm worried that this drugstore chain will be eviscerated by Amazon. I really am. Normally, I tell you the pharmacy side of the business can save them, but there are obvious political risks in election year. So where so many candidates want to fundamentally remake our healthcare system. So I'm worried the yield is suspect. It may not be able to protect you. No thanks. Hey, same goes for 3M at 3.8%, not enough protection. Here's a company that now has an open-ended environmental crisis on its hand with a group of chemicals known as PFAS, that's P-F-A-S. Now, this is something I discussed with Alan McKinn, the CEO of Clean Harbors, on Friday night. My view, 3M systematically underestimated the amount of money it would have to pay in judgment, settlements, legal fees. If that's the case, people might start viewing the dividend as questionable. Plus, 3M still has a lot of cyclical exposure, and that's something you do not want going into an economic slowdown. Once again, when you're up this many points, you don't think there's going to be a slowdown. I am telling you, there will be. Ninth, Cisco has a 3.5 percenter mm, defensible yield. Cisco certainly has the cash flow to cover it. One reason we own this one for the Chapel Trust. But honestly, the company will have no revenue growth to speak of versus other tech companies. So I expect it to remain an unloved orphan that's considered too hardware-centric to thrive in this software world. Came up in our meeting this morning for the ActionWorksPlus.com club. And I have to tell you, I was scratching my head about why we maintain a position. Finally, there's Caterpillar, 3.23%. Frankly, that's not enough high. That's not nearly enough to justify recommending a heavily cyclical stock that's highly dependent on both oil and China. Two things you don't want to be hostage to in this environment. I wouldn't be intrigued by Cat until, frankly, the yield goes to, say, 4.5%, which is quite a ways from here. At the end of the day, some of the higher-yielding stocks in Dow are worth picking but they're mostly the normal high-yielders like Pfizer or Verizon. As for the accidentally high-yielders, they're not accidentally high enough. Way too much risk. Not enough reward. I think the cyclicals with big dividends can all go lower still in a world where one bad coronavirus headline of any meaning could send us spiraling down all over again. Stick with Kramer. After today's rally, we are still ridiculously oversold, so I don't expect it to roll right back as so many people do. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The special begins now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.